1: fellow Falcoholics what is up welcome to episode 196 of the Falcoholic live I am your host Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin joined by two fantastic guests this evening first of all you know him the man the myth the legend the Falcoholic himself he is Dave Choate at the Falcoholic easy to remember Dave how are we doing tonight doing great
2: doing great uh, excited to talk about Eddie Goldman
1: Yes. Assigning minutes before, you know, not minutes. That would be really fortuitous. Awesome yeah. yeah, that you had enough time to write the article and, and sit on it and look up some stats for you guys. So that was very helpful of the team to do that. Uh, Eddie Goldman joins the team. We're going to talk about that right off the top here. Before we get to that, I want to welcome in my other guest host of the Believe in Falcons podcast and a contributor at the Falcoholic as well. He is Will McFadden at Will McFadden. Will, how are you doing on this fine evening?
0: I, I didn't realize there was news today. Honestly, I was um, I was at a showing of Minions: oh. The Rise of Gru, uh, mm-hmm. dressed in my finest tuxedo attire. Um, I was the the oldest Gentle Minion there, but it was great. Um, no, I'm really excited to, to talk about some football. Did you really <laughs>
1: like? Did you really wear the suit?
0: <laughs> Dude, I am not going to see Minions: The Rise oh, of Gru. Oh wow! Okay,
1: yeah. The minion slander but on here. <laughs> I am a massive
0: fan of the uh, the Gentle Minions trend. I applaud yes. the. The young people out there—they are—they're still funny. And, they are and the I'm future. Glad to see it.
1: Yeah, they are the future. So, uh, as a good bit, I enjoyed the bit too. Um, I'm just not that committed to go spend my money to see Millions Rise of Gru. But if you guys are, you know, more power to you. More power to you. But uh, yeah, guys, we're gonna get right off the top to this Eddie Goldman signing. Uh, The Falcons did also sign a veteran punter in Bradley Pinion, but we're going to be tabling that discussion for the special teams episode, which will be the next roster review that we do. Um, So we're going to, they did sign him. Bradley Pinion is good, but we're going to sort of save that one for the uh, special teams discussion because there's really not too much else to discuss. You know, there's no kicker discussion. There's no long snapper discussion. It's basically just punter and returner. So we're going to have to drag that out for like an hour. So we need to save opinion for that show. So I hope you guys will understand there. And before we get started, want to thank uh JD also Brooke for the ten dollar donation to training camp. Thank you so much, JD, that came in uh over the last week. Says thanks for pro- always providing for the fans. Really appreciate that. JD, thank you. Uh and if you guys are interested in donating to that, uh the link to that's in the show description. It's streamlabs.com slash the Uh we really appreciate all your support there, guys. Thanks so much. Um All right, Eddie Goldman coming over to the Falcons. Uh, This was kind of an somewhat obvious, I would say, like fit. Uh, I think Aaron Freeman was was like really sort of pounding the table for this signing for a while, so I know he's really happy about this one. Um, But Goldman has had some really excellent years as a nose tackle. He opted out of 2020 for COVID reasons uh, and then was limited to, I think, 14 games last year. Um, so it wasn't fully healthy, you know, sort of coming back from being off from COVID for a year, but, uh, still a good player, someone that I'm not expecting to really break the bank for the Falcons. I don't think we've got firm financials on the deal yet, but I know it is a one year deal. Um, well, will I'll, I'll let you take the first crack at Eddie Goldman. What do you think about the signing? And do you think he's basically the favorite now to be the starting nose tackle? I don't know if I would say the favorite because I actually, I think a lot of us like
0: what Anthony Rush did last year. Um, and so I'm at least willing to give him a, a true and fair look at training camp. But what I, my main takeaway from this particular signing is that I think what we all really hoped and wanted to see when they brought in Terry Fontenot to be the GM was this type of maybe overlooked, but quality veteran player at a very reasonable salary, because that's kind of what he. Built his MO up to be in New Orleans. And we've so far, I think, continued to see that time and again with a very, very tight purse string. He has added, I think, really good quality players like Casey Hayward. Like, you know, I know Brian Edwards was a trade, but that's the type of along those lines thinking where how can I acquire value at, you know, maybe below market value? And I I think that. Eddie Goldman's another example of we're well, well past free agency. We are well, well into the summer. We're getting much closer to training camp. And yet the Falcons told us that they were going to continue to make moves to try to get this roster better. I think this is a clear example of exactly that in practice, because even though I felt good about Anthony Rush at nose tackle, it's not like he's, you know, freaking Corey Hampton or anybody like that, like, or Casey Hampton, I I guess he or the Falcons continue to add quality where I think there already is quality, but that should just help to elevate both guys. You know, I'm I'm hoping that this could turn into a little bit of a Matt Hennessy, Drew Dahlman type of situation where you've got two guys who are probably similar caliber, one a little more proven in Eddie Goldman, and let's let him duke it out for three or four weeks over the in the really hot August sun. I mean, I'm game for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's hard to dislike the move for any reason, really. I mean, it's at worst, it's another veteran starter that you can trust on the interior. Mm -hmm. And as much as you like some of these young guys they have, uh, they were still short, I think, on proven starters. So adding Eddie Goldman to the mix, definitely like that. Dave, your thoughts on Eddie Goldman joining the Falcons interior defensive line?
2: I mean, it was a super logical signing, and I like it. At the end of the day, like... We, we sometimes it's that simple, right? Um, you know, yeah. where they needed to add to the line. Um, Goldman is a fit because, you know, he is, despite coming off maybe a shakier season, you know, a proven commodity. He's only 28 years old, strong guy, good against the run, has some pass rushing ability um, and really kind of, you know, slots in as, as a competition for, for rush and, and really just a, a quality rotational piece for a line that's probably going to, rotate through a lot of guys because um, out of necessity, they have to, they don't have a lot of proven options there. So it, to me, it's just, it was a signing that made a lot of sense. You know, it was either him or Hicks and I know that Hicks has a, a longer track record and is, is the more established and probably better player, but Goldman's a good one too. Um And I, I think it's a, it's a great addition. So if we can get a Goldman caliber signing on the offensive line too, all right, let's, let's
1: do this thing. I'm ready to go. Yep, yep. We joked before we went on the air that uh, you know, if we get Quentin Spain in here, then we're gonna start talking playoffs. So, you know. <laughs> we're almost you- there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I will, yeah. Yeah, Falcons, just make that happen. Okay, you'll get you'll get a playoff plug for me if you make that happen. So, you know, I'm just putting that out there. Um But yeah, I agree with what you guys said. I, I think it's really logical. I think that it's fair to really like what you saw in flashes from Anthony Rush, but also feel like this is a really untested outside of Grady Jarrett, really like unproven group of interior guys. You know, Grady Jarrett's going to be your go-to penetration guy or your, your your big pass rusher and your sort of penetration run defender. But they were really trying to replace basically every other spot on that line from last year. And you certainly like the the upside of Anthony Rush. You certainly got the measurables for it, much more so than like a Tyler Davison Um, trying to play three, four nose at like 310 pounds, is just really tough to do. Um, and let's face it, this team really struggled against the run last year. So trying to improve that facet of your defense, it's sort of an unsexy thing to do with your free agent signings and spending and and drafting. But the fact is like, if you can't stop the run, you're going to have a really hard time stopping anything because teams if they know they can run the ball on you all the time they're if you get down which the Falcons probably will like we saw last year like they were completely unable to to come back if they got down because they couldn't stop the run teams ran the ball an absurd amount against them and they they just got gashed there was no coming back and I think this team knows that the offense is probably not going to be as explosive this year. I think hopefully maybe it can be a little bit more consistent and maybe the run game will be better, but coming back from a big deficit is not going to be their strength. So keeping it from getting that bad in the first place is a good idea. And and fixing the run defense is a big part of that. But I know some people were like, Oh, well, does this mean that Anthony rush is now, you know, potentially looking at not making the team? And I don't think that's the case. They did actually activate both Anthony rush and Mike Pinnell, who was another nose tackle uh, and played them both on the same line. Uh, for seven games last year. Um, so this is something that they're comfortable doing. they they carried multiple nose tackles on the roster for basically the entire season if you count Tyler Davison even though he wasn't a great scheme fit he was he's a four3 nose he's not a great you know three four nose but um, they carry multiple nose tackles basically all season. so this is something they probably will continue to do so don't be shocked at all if it's actually Anthony Rush and Eddie Goldman not one or the other and it might be somebody else getting the ax, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out. Um, but I think that the the one guy I think I would look at and say, there's two guys I think that were probably sort of shoe-ins that are now maybe having to fight it out. And that's Vincent Taylor and Marlon Davidson. And it's kind of shocking to see Marlon Davidson, a second rounder from just two years ago, sort of like he needs to really show something in this camp or he's going to get possibly pushed off the roster. Um, Dave, what do you think about that? Do you think Marlon Davidson is actually in danger, or is this more Vincent Taylor who's on on the outside looking in?
2: I am a biased party here. I'm a big (laughs) Marlon Davidson fan, and I've been writing for the last two years. I've written the Marlon (laughs) Davidson is totally going to break out this year article, and I might even do it again. I'm reckless like that. So (laughs) to me, um, Davidson's probably making the roster. Mm. I I think I I can acknowledge the possibility that, you know, with a weak summer, there's enough guys here, you know, between Taylor, between um, Graham, who I think is absolutely going to make the roster, between even Jalen Dalton, who they added earlier this summer, um, you know, they certainly have options if Davidson falters. And I think the the fact that they keep adding to this line tells you they're not 100% committed to anybody outside of Jarrett. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Taylor is, to me, the more likely candidate for that. Um, doesn't quite have Davidson's upside. Um, you know, coming off an injury last year, you know, solid player um whenever he's been healthy so not a guy I would rule out by any stretch of the imagination but if it comes down to Davidson and Taylor I think it'll be Davidson making the roster
1: yeah assuming he doesn't just face plant and that, that's the thing with Davidson is that its I don't really think it's ever been like he just can't play it's just, just a series of really unfortunate s- stays on the COVID list, and then injuries on top of that. That's just limited him to I think like just a very low number of snaps overall over the past over his first two seasons. So, you hope that he can stay healthy in training camp. You hope that he gets a chance to really show what he can do and um, is able to to make his his presence known. Because I think we would all really like for Marlon Davidson to become that guy that we hoped we were gonna see uh, a couple years ago. But hey. Better, better now than never, and uh, I, I think just this is this this is the time. Like he has to show it this year. I think he's in real danger because uh, second round, beat a second round pick. It'll it'll buy you a few years, but don't get too comfortable. <laughs> never get too comfortable. So
2: no, um, and, and like I, I would hate to miss out on a, a possible Tom Brady interception again this year. So
1: yeah, yeah. Well, we need him just for the pick sixes of Tom Brady. I mean that yeah. you just have to have that on your roster. You need someone who's like Deion Jones was uh Drew Breeze's kryptonite, so we needed that while Breeze was here. You know, now that Breeze is gone, maybe we're gonna let go of Deion Jones, but we have to keep Marlon Davidson around to make sure that we can keep picking off Tom Brady.
2: But who is Baker Mayfield's kryptonite? I mean it could See? be dozens
1: of guys, but it could yeah. be anyone, yeah. We're yeah. we're still gonna we're gonna figure that out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, any other thoughts on on uh defensive tackle who might be sort of on the outside looking in now that Eddie Goldman's joined the fray?
0: Yeah, sorry about that guys. Uh That's didn't okay. mean to uh lose connection there for a second, but uh, I the one thought I really have is concerning Marlon Davidson because you could you could see a world where he actually would work really well in a 3-4 type of front because mm-hmm. it, like he he was that type of tweener at Auburn where he was a much bigger size defensive end but he was kind of too good off of the edge to just move him inside to to tackle where he could get double teams consistently because he had such great bend and burst while you know kind of laterally and so in that sense you know i i know that that three four and that five tech really needs to be strong against the run that's an aspect of marlon davidson's game that we've yet to really see at an nfl level uh so i i think that that's what they'll be looking for in training camp is really how How much can he prove that he can really hold up at a five technique and then still provide some juice in whatever pass rush ways they want to utilize him? Um, But I I certainly am hoping that Marlon Davidson gets one more chance just just for the injury luck that he's kind of had so far. Um, I'd like to see him have one full season healthy to show what he can do. So I'm with there with Dave here. I, I would like to see him kind of get things turned around.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think we would all love to see that. And I mean, he was a really sort of unique athlete at Auburn you know I was talking on Twitter today where I was saying like oh I don't know if he can stand up and it's not that he can't stand up like in college he stood up and rushed the passer off the edge at like 290 but the Falcons are having him play at over 300 and the NFL is a different game like Marlon Davidson is probably a better athlete than like most Tight ends at two ninety pounds, uh, in even in the SEC, but in the NFL, you're not going to be able to get away with as much. So I think he sort of does need to either slim down to play edge, or he needs to sort of prove that he can play that three, four, five tech, uh, or at least carve out some sort of penetration role similar to like a Grady Jarrett, um, pass rushing specialist. Like you got to do one or the other, um, and that's basically what I tweeted out is that he's got to be, he's got to prove he's either better than Taquan Graham against the run, or he's got to be better than Vincent Taylor against the pass. Uh, And if he can't do either of those things, I think he's in danger. But I think that considering that we haven't even seen Vincent Taylor practice yet, uh, he's still recovering from injury. You know, I think he's still the favorite, but it's not as secure as it would have been like a year ago, probably. Um, So we'll just have to see, but hoping for big things there from Marlon Davidson. uh, And, you know, I think, I think we will, uh, I think we'll see it. I, I, I'm hoping we'll see it. Um, all right. So now we are, uh, we lost Will for a moment there. I'm sure we will get him back, uh, at some point, but Dave and I are going to press on into our roster review today concerning the secondary. Uh, so we're going to start off with cornerback, uh, before we do guys want to remind you. Do please like and subscribe as always. Really appreciate those. Both those help us out. Uh check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash Live if you're interested in the Patron Fantasy Leagues. We are starting to fill those up this month. So to make sure you get a spot. Uh Sign up this month. Probably next month's okay, too. You know, really, we'll take you at any time. But, you know, the earlier the better for our planning purposes, if you're thinking about it. Um, and then, like I said, we're running our training camp fundraiser. You can donate to that at com slash thefalcoholic. Also, the link is in the show description. Thank you guys so much for that. Um, but, yeah, Dave, let's dive right into Corner, and we will get Will's thoughts, of course, once he gets here. I know he's got, like, a manifesto on uh, Casey Hayward, so we'll, we'll sort of—, uh, we'll sort of Take a minute here to talk about AJ Terrell because there's just not not enough nice things you could say about AJ Terrell. That his season last year was wasn't like shocking in that he was good. It was shocking like how good he was. And sort of considering all of the aspects of that season, that he was playing on the worst pass rush in the NFL. That he didn't really have a lot of he didn't really have a lot of talent around him. I think that Fabian Moreau was like a solid. Number two corner, but and Isaiah Oliver was looking really good in the slot, and then Isaiah Oliver goes down, they have a revolving door in the slot, and then they don't have a pass rush, so it's very dicey, but AJ Terrell still turns in one of the best seasons for a corner that Atlanta's certainly ever seen in recent years, even rivaling some of Desmond Trufant's better years. Um, and that was just his second year in the NFL. So uh, the sky is certainly the limit there. Uh, it looks like we have a, a young star on our hands, which is obviously huge for this defense. But uh, what are your thoughts on AJ Terrell going into year three and how big is his presence for this cornerback room?
2: Yeah, he's a special player. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought when he came into the league was that people were definitely putting way too much into one bad game, right, <laughs> against two a player we now know is an insanely good wide receiver. We knew that uh, coming out of college, (laughs) but you've seen him now in the NFL and he's still blowing guys away. Um, But like, I never, I never, ever expected him to be this good this quickly. Um, And I think it's very difficult to look at a player who you don't draft, maybe number one overall with all the hype in the world and think this guy's going to be spectacular. And it's a huge credit to who Terrell is, um, how hard he works at his craft, like, You know, year one, he maybe had one interception, I think, let a couple slip through his fingers, Mm -hmm. including one that would have won the game against the Chiefs. And, you know, he spent all offseason working with the jugs machine. And he came back last year, and his ball skills were noticeably better. Like, across the board, he was just a better player. And, you know, that some of that is just naturally he's gifted, um, obviously. But this is a guy who you are never going to outwork him. It reminds me of Grady Jarrett that way right? Like, this is a guy who does not take any slights or failures well and and is going to work to correct them. And so, you know, I I think, you know, it's fair to expect maybe he won't, um, you know, go the entire season without allowing a couple of big receptions. There's going to be maybe a couple of moments here and there. But I think that last year was a really good indication of who A.J. Terrell is and not a fluke. And I think Atlanta's got their number one corner. they probably get their you know, as much as I love, and you guys know, I love Desmond Trufant. Um, I always have, I always thought he was underrated, but mm-hmm. I think you're looking at the best top cornerback in Atlanta since, uh, you know, either Deion Sanders or maybe, maybe prime Ray Buchanan. Um, I really think that big play Ray. And couple, I think, I think
0: peak, back. I think peak D'Angelo Hall deserves a mention there. He, yeah, he probably does. Yeah. I'm uh, I, I, under. There were a lot of
1: D'Angelo Hall antics also, but peak <laughs> yeah, D'Angelo you know, was Hall a was game, an
0: excellent court. I was at a game against the Panthers in, in 2007 where D'Angelo Hall got like 45 yards of penalties on three straight plays against Steve Smith just for extracurricular activities.
2: Yeah. It was insane. And I, I respect that, actually. So, yes, he's so he's on brand. Part, but that is a fair point. Like, so I think you're talking like the very best of Trufant, the very best of Buchanan, the very best of D'Angelo Hall you know, these are, these are the heights that I think Terrell is already on. And I think he can be better than that. So like having that kind of tone center on the back end of your defense and, and knowing that you hopefully, as we'll talk about, have some better pieces to surround him with. Like, it's really exciting. Like you're going to break the bank for him in a couple of years, and it's going to be totally worth
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of those guys that you're not upset to pay big money, just like a Jalen Ramsey. Um, yeah, uh, I agree agree with what Dave said. Uh I'll open the floor to you Will on AJ Terrell for you to wax poetic about. Atlanta's maybe the best player on, on at least on the defense now. So.
0: Yeah. And and I I do want to shout out 2010 Brent Grimes in that yeah. list we're yeah. going to we're going to mention. Yep, that was
1: a great but, season. But,
2: but the I'm key falling down Will. Thank you for correcting me.
1: This is life. <laughs> but
0: the key um the key thing about that separates some of those players. And frankly, honestly separates D'Angelo Hall and Brent Grimes from even Desmond Trufant with the rest of that bunch, Ray and, and uh, Dion, but it's how many times they were able to do that. How many times were you able to replicate greatness throughout the course of a season, right? Desmond Trufant looked like he was very close to putting together full great seasons, maybe two or three times. Yeah. 2016, but for one reason yeah. or another, 2016 gets hurt. Kind of just some shaky play at weird times in some pivotal seasons where it was like, oh, you've been so good all year, but this this was it. so he he never fully put it together, but he was as consistent a corner as we've had in a, in a very long time, and that is now what I'm looking for from AJ. We we know his ceiling, maybe you know, but it's scary to even think that we might not know his ceiling. That's how good last year was. So even if that is his ceiling, dude's an all pro. Dude's capable of being the best cornerback in the league, depending on, you know, when people retire, people reach their prime, whatever. We saw that last year. He's got that potential. Now it's, is it going to be peaks and valleys? Is it going to be really high plateau? You know, is he going to be able to maintain what this ceiling is? You guys know this, but, but I um, was invited down to the P15 um, Mm -hmm. DB showcase where Casey Hayward and AJ Terrell were part of an NFL panel of players who were there. And I had a brief opportunity to speak with AJ just afterwards and kind of asked him the mentality after you have a breakout season, right? You've been working, working, working to make the NFL, to prove that you belong, to get through your rookie season, and then actually break out, but not just break out, break out in the biggest possible way to where now everybody kind of knows who you are if they're a football fan. How does that change your approach? Because on the one hand, you're the hunted now all the receivers, all the top receivers want a piece of you. But at the same time, you can't really change too much because you are a creature of habit routine. You know, you've got what clearly has worked for you. And he said, it was honestly a little bit of both. It's, it's continuing to pick and choose because as you mentioned, Dave, he's only in year three. I mean, like he is still learning what it means to be a pro in the NFL. So I think that there was some semblance of that to his answer where it's like, look, I'm just maturing. I'm, I'm now 24, 25. Like, I'm just becoming an older human. And and with that comes more maturity, more understanding of time management, just what matters, putting first things first, that type of thing. But then I think there was a little bit of an edge to to what I saw from him that day where, you know, I think he relishes the challenge a little bit. I don't want to speak for him. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But of course, he's competitive. I think that he likes that. Hey, I've been going against the other team's best for two years. Now I know that I'm one of the best, like, bring it on. Let's, let's get into some legendary, like status battles. And so I, I think that if that's AJ's mindset, I'm not going to bet against him. Certainly if he's, you know, if we're seeing him go up, it, it challenge Kyle Pitts at the line of scrimmage on, in OTAs. I mean, what are we talking about? So <laughs> I, I, I think AJ Terrell's head is exactly where it needs to be. And his physical abilities are already off the charts.
1: Yeah. This is a guy that is used to being the number one corner that that was the number one corner at Clemson for many years. This is not a guy that is afraid to go up against top guys. Like you talk about the Jamar Chase game. Everybody talks about him getting dusted in the second half, which happened, (laughs) but they forget the first half. He actually did really well against Jamar Chase in the first half. And then they, they sort of broke things open in the second half. And that wasn't entirely AJ Terrell's fault, but you never take one game too seriously. And and to AJ's credit, you know, he, he battled uh and he did that I a lot last wait year too. for part yeah. two this year yeah 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 um and, so good oh that the revenge game I don't know who's getting revenge on who probably Terrell I hope but um <laughs> figures crossed. <laughs> crossed yeah but uh just such a good player such a surprising season and, and the reason I think you should have confidence that Terrell should at least maintain if not improve um is because of the situation like there wasn't a good situation for Terrell to have this breakout season last year. Like he was sort of the guy in the secondary, in the secondary, there wasn't a great pass rush in front of him. Um, In fact, there was the worst pass rush in front of him. So like these guys, these corners were getting hung out to dry with very little pressure. Uh, He didn't exactly have after Isaiah Oliver went down, he didn't really have a great supporting cast, Um, but he still was able to, to, to play at that extremely high level, which I think should translate to, look, if this situation is better around him, why sh- why couldn't he be better? Uh, why couldn't he at least stay at a similar level? And that that similar level is top five NFL cornerbacks, so I think we would all be satisfied with that. But uh, it's going to be very exciting to see. If
0: if I can play devil's advocate to that point, though, specifically yeah, yeah. about, you know, everybody being better around him, which I actually, I think his secondary supporting cast could be better than than it was. You know, I, I love the Casey Award signing. I'm on record about that. I think Isaiah Oliver will will be better this year. You know, the other, the the safety situation slot corner, that all kind of remains to be seen, but I do think that their number two corner is is significantly up, yeah. upgraded. And so I just, I don't know if AJ Terrell is going to be avoided or can, right, or right. if teams can afford to avoid him to the degree that they did last year, which means that more balls thrown his way. Teams are also going to have a full year of this version of AJ Terrell on tape. They will be able to figure out some ways to attack him, or they'll say we can attack him, so we need to move him. We need to get him away, and and we need to maybe get his man off of him in some type of pit. Like, they'll figure out some some ways to do it. So, there there are some possibilities where other teams just get better at knowing how to go after AJ Terrell. A little bit like a pitcher and a batter. Like once mm-hmm. once a pitcher has you know enough film on him, like batters are going to know how to hit him, and vice versa. It, I think it's a little bit of that as well on top of, I just think the secondary is going to be a little bit better. And and with that means AJ Terrell is getting challenged a little bit more.
1: Yeah. And that brings us to the second cornerback that we're going to talk about, which is Casey Hayward. I know you were looking into him today. I was looking into him as well. Um, who I think as much as this is a pro Fabian Moreau podcast and thinks, and I think we all agree that he got dumped on too much by fans uh, for being just a solid number two, which means you get dumpstered sometimes folks. Like if you're <laughs> just a solid number two cornerback, you're going to get targeted a lot when AJ Terrell is playing across from you. And sometimes you're going to lose. And that's what happened. I thought he, he was a solid guy. So, you know, shout, shout out to Fabian Moreau who did sign elsewhere. I forget where he ended up going, but um, Casey Hayward comes in. Who I think is just unequivocally uh, an upgrade over Moreau. Um, Hayward honestly was like a top eight corner according to PFF last year, I think. Um, and I won't, I won't, you know, go too much into it because I want to leave some some content for these guys. But uh, just a really interesting pairing. And I think whereas some people thought the Falcons were going to go into more man coverage, the signing of Hayward I think actually is indicating the opposite. This is going to be a very zone heavy defense that is capable of playing man in certain situations. But I think both AJ Terrell and Casey Hayward have shown maybe they're a bit better in zone coverage, especially Hayward. Um, But well, I know you, you got the research done, so I'll let you take the first crack. Tell us about Casey Hayward and why everyone should be so excited about this particular addition to the secondary.
0: Well, I mean, you, you do mention the zone and a lot of his time in the NFL is, has come with Gus Bradley. Um, And, and so it's very, cover three heavy type of, you know, play off the ball, cover, cover the deep third of the field, really run with the receiver, which he does very well. But the key here and why I think he will exceed and why I'm not totally sold on the fact that the Falcons will go more zone, I, I think it will because they you need to be good at stopping something. Yeah. Right. And we saw teams who even weren't amazing defensively slow down some of the best quarterbacks in the league and the Falcons are going to be facing a, a lot of really, really great quarterbacks this season. I think that they could end up just doing a lot of zone, letting their athletes kind of win in space and and try to just tighten some things down and, and make teams go the length of the field against them. But even if they don't, Casey Edwards, is exactly a reason, a player why I think that they might not because his lateral agility is uncommon for a player who you would typically consider a zone corner right like when I watched Isaiah Oliver on tape coming out of Colorado I understood immediately why Dan Quinn loved him for his defense because he would just turn and run with the dude and then put his like five foot arm like wingspan just and knock a ball down like a volleyball player like it was it was the easiest thing in the world for him but I think when you see Isaiah Oliver tested side to side and laterally, that's not his strength. That's not the case with uh, Casey or apologies for the double, uh, double case there. But um, I, I think that he is similar to AJ Terrell in a lot of ways and that they can do a little bit of everything at a high level. Mm -hmm. You watch Casey or tackle. He's really good tackler. Um, You watch him when the ball's in the air at the point of attack, like he can knock the ball down really well. He makes plays when the ball's in the air and yeah, he's getting up there in age, but, it's not like the Falcons are starting their franchise with him. He's not shown any reason to believe that he's slowing down. And I think that his, the knowledge that he's accrued over the course of his NFL career will really be an asset to DNP's scheme, which I think especially in the secondary would be defined as multiple. I don't think we can say that the Falcons are going to run a zone or a man or, you know, nickel or base or dime or whatever. Like I think that they're going to run a lot of everything. And to do that, having somebody who can really fall back on zone skills, but I think has the read and react quickness along with the intelligence to play man when asked. So for that reason, Casey Award is a signing that is amazing, especially when you consider the contract that they got him at.
1: Yeah, it's just this is a guy who was like a top 10 NFL corner last year and they got him for pennies. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, five, 5 million or whatever it was, but I mean, that's just, I mean, I can't believe it. Like it, this is a guy that is, would be the corner one on most NFL teams. Uh, so this, mm-hmm. it's sort of flown under the radar too, for people that don't really pay attention. So, uh, if you're really, if you're trying to get excited about this Falcons team, one of the pathways for them being better than expected is this secondary taking off. We're going to talk about, obviously, more of the players involved in that. But before we get to that, Dave, your thoughts on the Casey Hayward signing uh, and his additions to this cornerback room?
2: I'm not sure I can follow up with Will.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah, I really didn't tee you up well there. Yeah, but he, wrote, he
2: wrote Ozymandias. I'm coming in with like yeah. a couple of <laughs> minutes here. But, um, but I, I will say the thing with Casey Hayward is like, not only is he a gifted player, which makes a huge difference for this defense, but one of the things that I read a lot about him um, when he came over was that like, you know, his leadership skills are huge. There were a lot of Raiders teammates and coaches talking about what a great asset he was. Um, somebody you could, you know, pick his brain. He would just give impromptu you know, lessons on the finer points of the defense for folks who didn't know it. And like, to me, where you have some young guys at safety and corner who are worth developing, like having the leadership skills you have between AJ Terrell, who's really stepped up, um, and then Hayward is something that I think can't really be overstated. So great signing, I think, for this year, at least, hopefully next year as well, when this team is is really good. That's what we're all hoping, um, you know, in terms of what he can bring on the field. But I also think in terms of bringing along guys like Richie Grant, Jalen Hawkins, Darren Hall, maybe D Alford, um, who I'm excited to talk about later, like having somebody
1: like Hayward there to,
2: you know, provide that experience, that leadership, that expertise is a big deal.
1: Yeah. And and that's the one thing that really stood out to me on his tape is that Hayward is really smart. He's a a super smart corner. He doesn't make mistakes. And in fact, it's the opposite. Like he erases other people's mistakes. Um, there's a there's a clip that circulates around a lot if you if you watched any of his tape last year where basically he peels off his man and almost picks off a pass running like 10 yards back up field because he read the quarterback so he abandoned his man, dropped down and almost, you know, ended up picking off a pass to a completely different player that he wasn't even covering initially from just his read of the play. He's like, "Oh, this is a zone beater." And he was watching it the whole time. He's like, they're going to clear me out. I'm just going to drop back in if I see this. And he did it. Like, he literally almost picked this pass off. It was one of the more impressive plays you'll ever see. Uh, And, like, this is not a guy like... Casey Hayward's a good athlete. And he's still a good athlete, even even at his age. But this is not a guy that was ever this elite, rangy guy. He's just always won by being smarter and, and faster to process than everybody else. And that... That's going to be very valuable for this Falcons team and for DMP's defense that's really predicated on, on not making any mistakes. Um, I, I think Hayward not only will be good in, in that he's not going to make any mistakes, but he's going to impart this to the other players around him. And this is a very young secondary. I mean, other than Isaiah Oliver, there's not a guy who's on their second contract that's projected to start right now. Uh AJ Terrell's on his rookie contract, Darren Hall's on his rookie contract, Isaiah Oliver is technically on his first year of, you know, not being on his rookie contract, and then you've got a smattering of other guys, I mean, Mike Ford, who's probably going to make the roster, is, is a veteran at this point, but everybody else is, is young, the safeties, you know, the two starting safeties are probably both going to be on their rookie contracts. so um, there is a big opportunity for a, a veteran leader to emerge, and I think... I, I couldn't pick anyone better than, than Casey Hayward, who's been there, who's played at that high level, and who, like Will was saying, has the experience in multiple schemes and in in both man and zone to really impart that knowledge, to get these guys lined up correctly, to to cut down on the mistakes, uh, and to just play at a high level, and to give AJ Terrell a really high-end partner on the other side that teams are not going to be able to avoid AJ Terrell anymore because you know, if we don't, if we don't throw at AJ, we're going to have to throw at Casey Hayward, who might even be more dangerous depending on the play call, because I don't know if you've ever seen, like try to throw, go ahead and throw screens against Casey Hayward. This man will not have it. Like this dude just sniffs out screens. Like it's nothing. Um, and I think that's better for both guys that, that these guys are going to get targeted, both of them. Um, and it's going to keep them on their toes and it's going to keep other teams from being able to laser focus on one guy or the other. And I'm, I'm excited to see how that, that works out because I think this could be certainly the best cornerback duo in the NFC South, but we could be talking by the end of the year, if you're, if you're very high on this Falcons team, it probably is predicated on this being one of the best cornerback duos in the NFL, and that being sort of the identity of this defense, uh, this, this sort of really high-end secondary. Um, and another component of that secondary, if we do get there, will obviously be the slot corner, which is a starter in today's NFL uh it's a position that's taken on a lot more significance in the last 5 or so years and the falcons could have a very good one in isaiah oliver who did play really really well after transitioning almost entirely to the inside at the beginning of last season we got to see several very good games from oliver before he ended up on ir with a season ending injury uh that was just at the worst time because he was on his way to getting a monster contract if he kept that pace up um And unfortunately for him, he has to take a one-year deal. But it ends up working out for the Falcons because they get him back. They get to evaluate him and see next year when they have all this money, if they do want to commit to paying him uh, a lot of money to be their slot corner of the future. Um, I really like Oliver. I like his upside. Uh, It's interesting to see the transition to the inside, but I I think he looked really good there. So, uh, Dave, you get the first crack at this one. Uh, What do you think about Isaiah Oliver? once again, manning the slot, and do you think he will be able to replicate uh, what we saw early last year?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, I think the thing with Isaiah Oliver for me is this talent has always been there. I was really excited about him coming out of college. I thought he was going to be a great fit for Dan Quinn's defense, kind of that ideal um, second corner, and, and that didn't pan out, you know, obviously the way that we hoped it did, but so long as he's healthy, I think last year we kind of saw Oliver settle into a role he was really comfortable in, in a defense he was comfortable in, and kind of all of that clicked into place for him. And so I don't think that was like, you know, just an accident or, or a fluky four, three and a half game stretch. Like, it's depressing to think about how short his season was. Um, but, you know, this is a guy who I, I am a big believer in the, the intelligence that Isaiah Oliver has always have been. I think the physicality has been there throughout and, you know, he's never going to be necessarily the guy you trust to to pick up a bunch of interceptions when you need them, but um, that's been true of a lot of Falcons over the years. Um, So for me, Oliver, like getting him back in the building was a big deal. Um, I think as long as they they felt he was going to be healthy by the time the season rolled around, like he's a guy that, Dean is clearly trusted to get the job done. He did as long as he was healthy and, and I fully expect him to kind of finally have his full breakout season this year um in that role. I think he's, he's ideal for it. I really do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like the fit there a lot. I think if he does pan out, obviously that could be a path to this team having maybe the best trio in recent memory. Certainly Uh maybe the best trio ever, if everything goes according to the, our rosiest predictions, but um, it certainly looks good on paper, assuming he could get back to his early, early 2021 form. Well, what do you think about the possibility of that happening? And Isaiah, Isaiah Oliver being the guy we need in the slot this year.
0: Yeah, I, I would note again, I think 2016 true font Alford and Brian Poole have, have an argument to be yeah, made there. They'd
1: have to beat that. Um, yeah,
0: man. I didn't even realize I knew this much about. Corners and, and <laughs> he's just like obscuring the, the top top secondary. <laughs> All of this combinations. random knowledge just right offhand, to just rattling know. Them off. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm also rooting for Isaiah Oliver, but he's a little bit of a mystery box to me at this point because mm. everything that I that I read that I hear about how the way that the NFL is going, and particularly the way that the slot is being utilized both offensively and then by necessity defensively it's getting faster. It's getting more agile. Teams are looking at the slot no longer as where do we stick our third receiver? It's how do we create matchup advantages and give our guys the best possible release. And so to defend that teams are now beginning to move guys like Jalen Ramsey inside. If, if that's the matchup that they want Jalen Ramsey on, they're sometimes putting their best corners there because, and this was something that was mentioned at the the panel that I was, um, that I attended. I guys like Casey Award and AJ Terrell, you know, when you're on the boundary, there's only so many things that a receiver can do because the sideline is there and because you know where your help is on the inside. If you're working from the slot, the receiver can go virtually anywhere. So you are usually in much more of a read and react and less dictating. And that just doesn't strike me as Isaiah Oliver's strong suit. You know, how many times in 2019 did we see him trailing across against Adam Thielen? And, and being just like a step or two behind while they make a catch on the sideline on just a deep over route. That's the stuff that he's going to be seeing all the time in the slot. You know, it's not just tight ends running seam routes like it used to be. So that's the negative. But I think, Dave, to your point, very smart, very intelligent. I've had the opportunity to, to talk to him. Really, really smart guy. His parents, professional background, athletic background. They were sprinters. I mean, they he comes from great stock as far as a professional athlete is concerned. He knows how to handle this. He's a really good run defender. That was always kind of the thing that was propping him up early on. So in that sense, it makes a a lot of sense to get him closer to the line of scrimmage, to get him near there where he can help maybe set the edge or establish an extra defender to combat the run. And I wonder what the Falcons run defense would have looked like with a whole season of Isaiah Oliver in there. Um, And then, you know, I, I just think that he's also a great communicator and that's another skill that's much more important closer to the line of scrimmage than just being out there on an island as a corner. So, and and then to wrap it all up, I mean, Dean Pease said it it folks so much to how much Dean Pease appreciated Isaiah Oliver, you know, saying that he would still have been the starting slot corner kind of by the end of the year. I think that those two have some kind of connection and Dean Pease has been around a lot of great secondary players that if, if he sees something in Isaiah Oliver, I'm going to trust that. It's just, I'm trying to make, you know, a uh, red meat blue here and figure out how the coverage part comes into it. If he's going to be going up against, you know, some of the fastest, quickest receivers on the inside, but who knows? We'll see.
1: Yeah. And it's sort of, it's interesting to to break it down because you mentioned his, his run support. And I think that was one area where Isaiah Oliver really was very impressive last year. Um, and the coverage was better. I think he looked more comfortable playing on the inside, which I agree. looking at his athletic profile, and his college tape, you wouldn't necessarily assume that like, this is a guy that played on the outside, almost exclusively in college. He's got that long frame, but he actually looked more comfortable playing on the inside. Uh, and that does also give him the ability to match up with those bigger receivers. And we've seen teams in recent years, really try to put their X guys in the slot or put their big receivers. The big slot is definitely a thing these days. And, Isaiah Oliver's not your typical slot corner that's this, you know, diminutive guy, like a, more like an Avery Williams, you know, like a five, eight (laughs) poor Avery Williams, man. Uh, he got blasted sometimes, Uh, but like it, Oliver's not that type of slot corner. Like he is got, he's got the size to be like, if you put your big, your big receiver in the slot, Isaiah Oliver's going to be able to match up with him. I think he had like 98th percentile arms or something like that. Got those, those great arms. uh, And I think that gives you a lot more ability to be like, we're just going to play our three corners straight up. We're not going to have to rotate these guys very much. And that gives you the opportunity to let your guys get a little bit more comfortable where they are, as opposed to having them switch around and move, move around all the time. Casey Hayward also is very comfortable playing in the slot. So they needed to ever move Hayward in there. They could, I, I think he's probably much better for this team on the outside, considering what they have on the outside. But, um, I just think it's it, this has, this trio has a lot of potential. Um I think if, if Oliver is healthy and sort of back to where he is there's not really a huge weakness. You know, I think obviously if you look at those three guys, Isaiah Oliver is going to be the weaker of the three, but if he's like above average still, that's like you've got one elite corner, one really good corner, and one above average corner. Like that's a great secondary. It's very, it's almost impossible to get three, you know, very good corners. It's, you can't pay them all you, unless you just luck into drafting guys or whatever. So, um, I'm I'm really excited to see how that turns out. I I, I like the look of this starting trio a lot, um, and it it really makes it so that teams can't necessarily just move their top guy into the slot and be like, okay, now we're just going to feast. It's like, oh, well you have to really, you're just going to have to line up. Like you're not necessarily going to be able to take advantage of one of these corners. uh, So you're just going to have to pick your poison and figure out where you want to throw the ball. And um, if it all goes according to plan for Atlanta, I think that is maybe the one place where this defense can really hang their hat is that this, this cornerback trio, if they're what we expect, and we get the health that we're hoping for, obviously from these guys, um, that this is a special unit potentially. So if you're, if you're high on the Falcons, this is the one spot where I think maybe you're justified as being like, this cornerback trio could really be something here. Um, and the other question is, of course, the depth behind them, which is what we're going to get to now. Um, and I, I think they have some interesting names here. I think this is the more unproven sort of section of the depth chart. But again, if you've got three really good starters, you're probably not having a lot extra to spend on getting a bunch of proven depth guys. Um, The primary guy right now, the top reserve does seem to be Darren Hall, who's coming into his second year, played both inside and outside for the Falcons last year. Uh, I thought he looked a little bit better playing on the inside, but uh, in OTA's minicamp, it sounded like he was taking reps in both spots, Uh, especially with Isaiah Oliver still not practicing with the team. Hall was getting plenty of reps in the nickel packages and stuff like that. Will, what do you think about Darren Hall? Uh, are, are you feeling confident that he can be a primary reserve this year? Yeah,
0: I, I actually, I really am. Um, this wasn't anything that I, I think I really vocalized to any great extent last year, but I was pleasantly surprised with with how Darren Hall played. Um, I He kind of later on in the year when they needed to rely on him a little bit more and injuries started piling up, I thought he had some pretty solid moments where i was like all right that dude can play in the nfl and as a rookie especially a rookie in the secondary it's kind of really all you can hope for um yeah. and i i he did have some up and down moments you know he he followed up a good game with a pretty bad game he followed up a great play with a boneheaded penalty you know like there there was rookie mistakes and and there were plenty of them but i'm just a big believer in in a, especially in a guy's first year you look more for what he can do instead of penalizing him for what he can't do, because he's not a fully formed player yet. And a lot of these guys are really kind of just holding on by the skin of their teeth as rookies. And if you're still able, you know, Jamar chase aside, um, if you're, if you're a fourth fifth round pick and you're still able to go out there and make some plays on, on Sundays, then that really bodes well. in in my book, uh, I do agree with you, Kevin. I, I liked him a little bit more in the slot and we'll see you know, we'll, we'll have to eventually kind of get a feel for what the Falcons plan to do with him. Mm -hmm. This couple, you know, with the fact that Avery Williams is now a running back, right? uh, I'm like, all right, you drafted two corners last year and now, now there's one. So I, they kind of need Darren Hall to, to become a player that they can rely on for depth because they just shipped one guy off to the offensive side of the ball. Um, but that being said, I liked what I saw from Darren Hall in year one, and I'm excited to see him in year two.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Dave, is there anything else you want to add on, on Darren Hall?
2: I am the biggest Darren Hall fan in the
1: world. <laughs> <laughs> Dave is a fan of all these players. It's crazy. <laughs> I am. I love them, but, uh, but I, I will say, much like Kamal
2: Ishmael, who is my shoutouts. Shout former, outs. And- Hashtag charge on. Falcons reserve secondary crush. Like I I am a big fan of Hall. I like that pick a lot coming out and everything I saw from him last year, you know, the physicality that I loved from him kind of coming into the league really, I thought translated well. And to Will's point, it was, it was streaky. It was inconsistent at times. There were definitely some down stretches for Darren Hall, but I think as a guy who, you know, was a reserve coming into a a bad situation and a pretty complicated defense, he acquitted himself well. And I think if he's going to be your top reserve, um, I'm pretty comfortable with that. I, I think Darren Hall is going to be uh, a really good reserve at at worst for a while. So I, I think, you know, the Falcons have some interesting names. They could still sign a veteran or two, but I think there's a reason they were comfortable moving Williams and and that they appear to be playing Hall a little bit you know, all over the place. And it's because they like what he can do and they think he can step in when they need him. And, and I tend to agree with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's meaningful that you trust a second-year player to play multiple spots at this point. Um, that's, that's impressive. Um, and it's why I think people should be a little bit more understanding of Richie Grant, who was also asked to play multiple positions last year. Um, That's not easy, especially for a rookie. Um, And Darren Hall wasn't an impact player or anything like that. But as a, as a reserve that was called into action a lot late in the season, I thought he was, he was fine. Uh, I think he made some plays against the run too. Um, And I, I, I think what you're hoping for with Hall from a realistic perspective is that he's your sort of top reserve. He's your next man up who can jump into the slot or outside if an injury strikes or if somebody needs a breather, and you're not going to have a massive drop off or like a liability out there. And as a fourth round pick, I think that's a good, you know, that would be good if you can get that. So,
0: yeah, he's your swing tackle
2: on defense,
1: <laughs> your swing yeah. corner. If yeah.
2: he ends <laughs> up being like a blitty Ray Wilson,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: yes. Like, like, oh man, talk about secondary <laughs> <Also>. crushes. <laughs> love, love uh, yeah.
2: like, you know, he stepped in every time he was called upon and he did pretty well. And it's like that's what you get out of Darren Hall for you know, however many years, then that's a great pick in the fifth round. So, and I, I think that's certainly a possibility.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what we're sort of hoping for there. And I think the Falcons would be pretty happy if they get that as well. Not sure that it will ever be a guy that you're like relying on as like a corner two, but I think maybe the, uh, he could eventually start in the slot. If, if Oliver were to falter or something like that, you know, we'll see. But um, at this point, I think his trajectory is, is encouraging. Um, next guy that we'll talk about who, who seems to have, he was sort of a late signing that ended up actually taking on a pretty, what seems like a, a fairly safe roster spot at this point, considering how much he's been playing with the starters is, uh, veteran Mike Ford, uh, who sort of been known as a good special teams player, but has actually performed well at corner when called upon. We've also heard that the Falcons are playing him, uh, at safety too um dave your thoughts on mike ford and and the apparent uh his his sort of rise to be perhaps the the fifth corner and maybe safely so the fifth corner on the roster at this point
2: yeah he's an interesting player um he was somebody who hasn't really been strongly on my radar um mm-hmm.
1: but that's
2: probably because i've had Tease Tabor penciled in um,
1: <laughs> tees he's such a tease yeah Is he, yeah he, <laughs> um, thanks for that yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. My, my bad.
2: No, 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 it's good. Um, but I, I think that maybe it, it is Mike Ford who ends up taking that role. I think ideally you're going to have somebody rounding out your secondary. Who's like last man up the corner, last man up at safety and asset on special teams. Right. And like, that's, if you have a guy that you can trust to do a little bit of everything and, and be active for Marquise Williams on Sundays, like that's a good guy to have. So I, I think with Ford, I don't have a strong opinion on him because I haven't spent a lot of time kind of watching him and getting to know his game, but I, I think the early indicators for him are, are pretty strong. So that's that's probably a good sign. He's competing with at least, again, Tabor, um, the T's, and uh, Trey Webb, who also played a little bit all over the formation in college. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I, it's interesting that they're playing him at safety too. I think it's sort of like, they're trying to make him a deep reserve that can play all over. And I think he'll be a top special team or two, but will you have any, any Mike Ford takes for us? Um,
0: you know, like Dave, I don't have a ton of experience with Mike Ford, the player. So I'm going to approach this. Maybe, uh, are we sure that the team is not just giving him a lot of runs at OTAs and minicamp at different positions Could just be. to like, he's Could a veteran, be. He should probably be able to figure this out and let's just get him with the starters. Cause we will probably get a better evaluation of what he can do right away. And then we don't have to, you know, I, I think monitoring him throughout training camp is, is probably a must for that because he could have been brought here for special teams alone. You know, they may, they may view yeah. him as we had this hole to fill. He fills it perfectly on special teams. That's worth roster spot in 2022 when we're probably not holding that out for like our, fourth defensive tackle that we need to be in a in a real pass rush um so i like i i could see them just trying to see what they have in him and see if he can be that that versatile kind of maybe utility player coming off of the bench because then that is more valuable than just having a special teams guy but i'm not ready to say that this automatically makes him kind of a front runner in that competition because i think that competition really hasn't begun yet this, to me, just strikes, uh, or this move strikes me as a veteran who was brought in maybe for one role, and they're just trying to see. And that's what this staff has done, right? Like, this staff has been very, or Daryl Patterson, we're just going to throw you out and see what you can do. Felipe Franks, let's get you a tight end, buddy. Like, they they don't, they're not afraid to just throw some stuff at the wall. Maybe that's this. Maybe it's not. Maybe they know what they're doing. Um, not to say that they don't either way, but... I just don't know if this means that he's vaulted up the depth chart like that.
1: Yeah. And that's fair. Um, Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that he doesn't play a ton on defense, but uh, I think in limited work has graded out pretty well. According to PFF, I think 2020 finished with like an 80 PFF grade on limited snaps, obviously, but you know, like that, that's, that's not nothing, you know, that's a nice PFF grade there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a guy that is a special teams ace. This is a guy that's going to be one of your core special teams players. And, Look, if he can play defense for you in a pinch, uh, can he play corner and safety? That that's just a that's just a bonus. But we've seen with this regime that they are not afraid to roster really good special teams players that don't necessarily give you a ton elsewhere because look, there this isn't a super high end roster where you're trying to stash all these rookies because you have all these established veteran stars behind them yep. like They've got a little bit of money to spend and they're like, look, maybe we can make our special teams elite with these guys. And that's one area of our team that we can really make quite good without having to spend a ton of money. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to go the rest of the way, you know, in the future. And I think that might be what Mike Ford is. And I think that's a a very fair return on investment there. But I I do think his special teams contributions really do help him. Um, Dave mentioned Tease Tabor as the other sort of veteran guy that was brought in, um, and it's going to be interesting to see if Tabor will actually make the roster considering there's like, I think, 11 or 12 corners on the roster at this point. So there's going to be a lot of guys cut, obviously, at the end of training camp. Um, but before we get to sort of the smattering of of UDFAs and CFL standouts, that sort of thing, let's spend just a second on Tabor. Will, do. You, what do you think about Tabor? You think he's he's got a shot or is he sort of probably getting outshined by some of these other guys at this point.
0: Well, Tease Tabor went to Florida, um, oh, so he's, okay. he's yeah. not very high on my list to begin with. Um,
1: <laughs> Wrong person to ask, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I No, I, I mean, I, I think that this is, again, somebody who came out with a pretty high pedigree, um, and and I think we're also seeing that be a little bit of a commonality with with some of the moves. If they're able to get some guys who may be being passed over, I think they are willing to, or they're wanting to at least see those guys come in with maybe a high pedigree from the NFL draft. Uh, so T fits that bill. But again, I, you know, I don't, I'm not familiar enough really with his game to speak to how he probably fits into this defense. I can only say that, look, like corners, not a really bad spot. If you're going to throw a bunch of darts at the wall, because you can get, you can kind of strike gold sometimes there. And Obviously, T's Tabor has been around the league. So if, if he was that UDFA who comes out and is just amazing and and one team's lucky enough to have him, we'd probably know that by now. But I don't mind all the dart throws.
1: Yeah, I don't mind it. And I'll. I it's not fair to Tabor at all because I think he's actually put together a pretty decent NFL career here as like a reserve spot starter guy. But I just I never forget his 40 where everyone at the combine. He was like a first round sort of fringe guy. Before the combine, he ran that four six two, and everyone was like, "Oh, oh no, oh no!" I was just—you uh, could just feel the uh, the attitude in the combine building, just like, "Oh no, oh, the four six two—that's gonna kill him, and poor guy." But that was to like his Elijah
0: credit, yeah, Elijah Holyfield's forty. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, at his pro day, we were there. Oh, it was like
1: four eight. Yeah, oh, God. yeah, like four That's eight the death four. Oh, yeah. God. Don't run. Don't run. Like, Elijah, do not run. Like, don't do it. Like, it's not worth it, okay? <laughs> like, sometimes keep them guessing. Drake Lennon didn't run. <laughs> First-round pick, okay? It's not necessary. If you're going to run a 4 4 don't do it. Don't do it, guys. Um, but, yeah. Uh, Dave, I know you mentioned T. So, okay, anything else you want to add on, on Tabor? Uh, are you are you still sort of penciling him in for the roster at this point?
2: I still kind of am. I, I think as a, as a fifth safety and whatever number cornerback, mm-hmm. Um. One of the things with Tabor, I think, and, and like this is a commonality, you guys mentioned pedigree, right, um, as something that this this team has looked at. To me, Tabor is, is, is young enough and talented enough that maybe you start to think this is the stop where he puts it together, even if it's only as a high-end reserve. Um, so to me, he's a guy between the versatility he offers and the potential for some upside that we haven't seen yet. Um, still should be penciled in to make the roster. And I, I think that's been a big focus for this front office and coaching staff is trying to find those guys who maybe other teams have been like, forget it, we're giving up on him. You know, we've we've got a ton of them. We've got Cordero Patterson, we've got Mariota, we've got, you know, you, you can say, um, I don't know if he's going to make the roster or not, but like across the board, they are trying to find those guys that, pleasantly surprised with the right coaching staff with the right environment and i i definitely think he could be one of those guys so for now at least i am penciling
1: yeah yeah I, I i like it i i think at worst he's good depth i think this is i think he's probably it'll depend on what happens with someone like d ford who we're going to talk about in just a second along with some of the other udfa guys but basically like there's room for, for one of these guys to make the roster, but if no one really impresses, I sort of think it's penciled in for someone like a tease table or who we know can play safety too. Um, and that's, it's sort of like, I, I was going to list him at safety, but the Falcons officially list him at corner. So it's like, oh, it's kind of hard for me to do that now. But I think his chances of making the roster might be better at safety if they were to keep a fifth safety because corner is just so crowded, especially now with them cutting uh, Brad Hawkins, who was like the one of two UDFAs they signed there. So we'll see. Uh, but I, I do, uh, I like Tabor. I think he's, he's just a solid reserve who can play multiple spots. And that's valuable, especially for a roster like the Falcons that look, they could use that, they could use that player. So, um, there's all, there's a bunch of guys that we're not going to spend too much time on. Cause we've already spent, you know, 50 minutes on cornerback, but I'll list them off real quick. Um, starting, uh, alpha, well by number, cause that's how I have my roster organized, but, uh, Cornell Armstrong, D. Alford, the CFL star, uh, Lafayette Pitts, Corey Ballantyne, and Matt Hankins, the UDFA, uh, the only actual UDFA signing a cornerback. Everybody else is either a former UDFA with some NFL experience, or in the case of D. Alford, a uh, CFL player. Um, Dave, I know you're a big fan of D. Alford. Anything on him that you want to share, or anything else on any of these these other guys?
2: No, just that I would I would certainly think if the Falcons are keeping five or six corners, I'd expect Alford to make it. Um, if not, I think he's a very strong practice squad candidate. This is a guy who, you know, I know you kind of have to weigh in balance CFL versus NFL, but like he, he was a star, it, you know, up North. And just because he puts a little bit more maple syrup on his pancakes and is a little bit more polite does not mean that he's not a gifted player. And, and I think, you know, the early reports from camp uh, that we've seen have been pretty positive for him. And so I'm a believer in the talent there. And and maybe it'll take a little bit of time for that to translate to the NFL. But I think there's a reason that Terry Fontenot, who we know with Eric Harris back with the Saints and, and others, will and uh, Delvin Bro, I guess it mm-hmm. was, Well, yeah. you know, he'll go north of the border looking for a potential star. And it's been hit or miss. But I do think Alford could be one of those guys for him. Um, and I do think that he's a worthwhile addition who has a strong chance to make the roster.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Braden Lennius at tight end, another CFL guy that the Falcons brought in. So we could we could uh we're gonna have some CFL players in here. We'll see if anyone pans out. But uh yeah, Will, same question to you. Anything on D Ford or any of those other uh sort of UDFA types or, you know, couple year veterans, any of those guys that you like might maybe might surprise?
0: Um, my prediction would be that two or three will end up on the practice squad (laughs) and that's
1: yeah, yeah, sure. That's fine. (laughs) Basically as
0: far as I'm willing to go now, but I will say, you know, like D. offer does bring some, uh, special teams ability as well. And, and I'm sure a bunch of these guys do, uh, which is something that on top of looking for maybe proven production at the college level, uh, maybe overlooked production at the NFL level, I think versatility is uh, something that this group really values because it's kind of where the game's heading is is just guys who can kind of do a little bit of everything getting the chance to do a little bit of everything uh, and and so i'm i'm all for having players like all Ford on this roster
1: yeah no i, I like that i like that Which you did there at the end i appreciate that yeah <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was good. That was a good one. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I agree with what you guys said. I think D Ford of those guys probably has the best chance, uh, based on what we've seen so far in minicamp. But again, like we only have minicamp to go off of in OTA. Like, right, th- it's not that meaningful. But this is literally the only data we have. So based on that, D Alford, Mike Ford seem to be in the lead. This could change within three days of training camp, obviously, but that's what we're going with. So those are the guys that I think are our favorites. But Corey Ballantyne was someone I liked coming out. I thought he would be like an early day three pick. He's had some ups and downs, but certainly someone I think that's at least intriguing. Um, don't know too much about Cornell Armstrong or Lafayette Pitts, uh, but it looks like both of those guys have, have made it this far. And then Matt Hankins is, is the UDFA that they brought in. So again, he's going to get an opportunity, but... Cracking the roster is going to be really difficult for any of these guys. Um, D. Alford maybe has the best chance uh, because he has played professional football, not necessarily at the NFL level, but at the CFL level before. Uh, But you're going to have to beat out veterans like Mike Ford and T's Tabor. If you're making this roster, you're probably going to have to get past one of those guys. Um, I think D. Alford has maybe shown enough that you might think that he's capable of it. These other guys, I'm not sure. But um, it'll be interesting, and I think you're gonna have at least one or you're gonna have at least one or two quality uh, practice squad candidates from this group, I think. So that's always nice to have too. Uh, we've seen the Falcons look; they they keep their practice squad around. A lot of their practice squad from last year they brought into camp. So these guys know if they stick around on the squad, they will have a chance to compete. If there are injuries, if you know next year's training camp, whatever, um, it's those guys are valuable. The ones you can you know develop and, and try to take another look at in a year. Um, all right. And the effort of moving this along quick, we're going to move right into safety after I get to this tip from Jason Gaines. Uh, thank you, Jason for the $2. He says, Kevin, since you're going to be at training camp, make sure to hit a Braves game and the battery while you're there. You'll have a lot of fun. If, if, if I can make it work, I will, that it does sound like a good time, especially since the Braves seem to be very good. Uh, so, you know, I always like watching good sports teams. So, uh, not much of a baseball guy, but you know, if they're crushing it, I'm sure I'll have a good time. Um, He says, also, I predict that Sark will fail to develop Arch Manning in Texas. Hashtag horns down. (laughs) Will, you'll never convince me that Sark was a competent NFL OC. (laughs) I think he was competent. You know, I think if you want to argue about if he was good, that maybe there's a discussion there. But I think his 2018 in particular was pretty underrated. Uh, But, you know, in the interest of moving this forward, we're going to table that one. That'll be for the deep offseason pod. But uh, maybe Will, you can address this on the next Believe in (laughs) Falcons. But uh, I got thoughts. Yeah, there are only five safeties technically on the roster, so this should be a shorter group as opposed to the twelve corners we had to talk about. Um, But uh, we honestly, the I think the four that are going to make the roster pretty much set. um, We just don't know who's actually going to be the starters. Maybe it's not that meaningful who actually starts because it's probably going to be a fair amount of rotating as well. But we'll kick things off with uh, last year's second rounder, Richie Grant, who didn't end up playing as much as I think most people hoped myself included. Um, But, Will, I will, I will go to you first on Richie. Uh, what do you think about Richie Grant in year two? Do you think that he will seize the starting job in his second NFL season?
0: I think that they would really like for him to by some point in the season, which I know is the most like non-committal blah answer in the world. But in all, in all seriousness, I think last year was a red shirt year to some degree for Richie Grant. And, you know, I I don't think that he was alone in that. Uh, And and I don't think he will be, I, I would not be shocked if there are certain players in this year's draft class who we are very excited about right now, who may not see the field for a little while. Um, I, I think that that could be something that this staff likes to do. Um, so I don't hold that against Richie Graham, because I'm still really excited for the player that I saw at UCF coming out. And by all accounts, he's really well liked in the building. Uh, you know, high energy guy, um, smart, just good kid who is still competing hard. I just think it's a really complex and complicated role in this defense. And I think it's hard to pick that up. Certainly. Yeah. And I don't, I can't speak directly to how big the jump is from UCF to the NFL, not from a safety standpoint, but I I have to imagine that going from college safety to Dean P's safety is about as hard of a jump as, as you could probably make in year one. And on top of that, the times that he was on the field, there were frankly just mistakes that that he should not have been making that cause you to lose trust in a player because, and we'll get to, to him in one second. I was speaking with Jalen Hawkins on on my pod you know, recently and, and he kept bringing up the term 111, which is what Dean Pease, I guess, tried to instill in him is that this is just one group of 11. We're an amoeba. Everybody, it doesn't matter about what you want to do on this play. We're 111. We have to move as a school of fish because that is how we accomplish our goal. And there were just a few key distinct times where I remember Richie Grant being right there on the edge, kind of right where Isaiah Oliver should have been. And instead of setting the edge to the outside and fighting for his upfield shoulder to turn the runner back inside towards the help, he tried to undercut the blocker, kind of dive around him and then make the play and he missed. And that gave up a huge run right around the edge where he should have been. And so things like that, I imagine have to drive a coach crazy. So I'm sure that they would love to see him get out on the field, but it's up to him to get those cleaned up. And it's up to him to kind of earn that trust. I would not be shocked at all if we see a lot of Richie Grant in the preseason, because I think that they're going to want to see, you know, can he do it when the lights are on, when he's out there back there and handle a complicated role? Um, I have very high hopes for Richie Grant. I think he can do it. It's just he's got to show it to the coaches, and he's got to show it to us a little bit.
1: Yeah, I agree. And from someone who watched a ton of Richie Grant in college as a UCF fan, his aggressiveness was sort of his calling card, um, and they would even play him at single high at UCF. I don't really think that's his, which thing I don't at the mind. NFL. Yeah, it's not necessarily his thing at the NFL, but like in in the AAC, UCF's opponents, like this, he could do anything he wanted and recover. You know, because he's he's a good athlete. Like in the NFL, if you're out of position, you're getting burned. You're getting toasted, or you're giving up a big play because these guys are all great athletes. Um, you can't rely on your athleticism to bail you out unless you're one of these like truly elite athletes like a like a Buddha Baker or something or like something like that um or Ed Reed a famous yeah Ed know, Reed, Dean Pease yeah. <laughs> yep yep um and Dean Pease is going to ask a lot of these safeties too so I, I'm not surprised that it took Grant a little bit longer and and that that Pease is sort of trying to get him to play as with a more controlled aggression um but it, it'll be interesting to see how quickly he gets on the field this year and if he is a starter to start things off because I think fans will be pretty upset if he's not but uh, you know, we'll have to see how it goes, but I, I, I certainly think he's talented enough to be an impact player in the NFL and his second round draft pick, uh, I think shows that the Falcons think so too. Clearly, uh, Dave, what do you think about Richie Grant and the opportunity that he's going to get maybe to get on the field early this year?
2: Yeah, I think he's going to take the starting job and I, I fully expect him to be a good player. I really do. I'm everybody's biggest fan tonight. I'm having a great time. Uh, <laughs> you know, Davis thing- pro
1: Falcons. Yeah.
2: I I am. The thing with Grant is, is like, um, weirdly pro Falcons after all this time,
1: after all this time, Um, such a surprise. Yeah.
2: But Grant, yeah, I'm a big believer in the talent. I think, you know, whatever happened last year to, you know, ensure that he did not get on the field as much as we expected. I think he showed really well on special teams. He was important there. I think as Will said, you know, clearly a well-liked, respected guy. So, you know, Dean Pease was, was careful to say, you know, maybe he's not ready, but it's not that he stinks or that he's not not going to be an asset for them. Um, to me, he clearly just needed time and seasoning in this particular defense. And I think with the opportunity in front of him with a full offseason, um, kind of having him in the driver's seat, because I don't view anyone the Falcons sign, including Eric Harris, who I, I think played – reasonably well last year is a real threat to like leapfrog him from the start of the season. I think unless he has a, a completely dismal summer, he's a starting safety. And and I think I'm still a big believer in the talent. So I, I just hope that this isn't Isaiah Oliver 2.0 where, you know, three years from now, we're talking about how great it is that he's coming into this new goal or whatever. But yeah, I, I think he's gonna, he's gonna do just fine. And I think all of the the anger and ire toward him last
1: year for not really starting.
2: If it won't look silly in hindsight, it'll seem
1: unjustified. I really do. Yeah, I mean, no one's going to care if he's good this year. Like, no one's going to remember that he played sparingly this rookie season. That's just how it works. So uh, we just want him to play good this year. If it all, if the, the time off pays, pays off and he's a good starter, no one's going to care that he played, you know, as a reserve in his first year. Uh, that's pretty normal for NFL rookies guys. Uh, I know that the ex- expectations for second rounders are always off the chain, but, uh, give, give this man a chance, you know, give, give him a chance. Um, next up, uh, another former, well, this is day t- day three pick technically in Jalen Hawkins, who after a few years got a chance to play quite a bit last year, maybe was depending on who you ask the most impressive of the Falcon safeties, uh, overall. And maybe also we'll have a chance to start Jalen Hawkins, uh, who I was impressed with last year. Uh, He didn't start a ton of games. He did play a lot in terms of snaps. Um, But again, this could be the other half of the Falcons' new young safety duo, particularly with Eric Harris coming off that late-season injury um and dave i'll I'll let you get the first crack at at hawkins do you think that it it will be hawkins across from grant or at least starting at one of the two spots when the dust clears
2: i do and i think it's a similar situation for hawkins i think you know you saw his playing time kind of uh, wax and wane um he did some good things obviously a couple of those interceptions were terrific um but he certainly had moments where he missed some tackles he was not in the right place at the right time which i think maybe eroded the DMPs trust in him a little bit as the season wore on. So, you know, but again, with a full off season, you know, a second year in this defense and for Hawkins more than Grant, really, you know, a third year in the NFL, having kind of learned on the fly all of this time, um, I fully expect him to step into the role. I, I think the Falcons know that the ideal outcome is having a couple of aggressive, potentially playmaking physical safeties back there. And I think Hawkins does fit the bill. Um, I don't know if his upside is quite as high as Grant, but he's a player that I I would put in the driver's seat there. Um, you know, certainly with Harris coming off an injury and with Dean Marlowe kind of being ideally a spot starter and a reserve and special teamer. Um, you know, unless you've got a guy you're really taking a hard look at when the final round of cuts come in, which I guess you can't rule out because this team has alluded to doing so. Hawkins just makes a ton of
1: sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Will, you have anything else you'd like to add on Hawkins?
0: Um, you know, I, I think that the Falcons would love for uh, Richie Grant and and Jalen Hawkins to be their two starting safeties coming out out of camp. Um, I I do know that Jalen, you know, said that he learned a lot from Eric Harris and Ron Harmon last year, both on and off field preparation, what to look for, and that he spent a lot of this offseason really trying to commit a lot of those lessons to muscle memory so that he can just you know kind of know what's happening before it's supposed to happen so that all he has to do is react and and that's what he you know his interceptions last year, one of them was because he just knew before the play before the ball was snapped what was coming. based on all the studying that had been done throughout the week, all the walkthroughs, all whatever he just recognized it, knew it instinctively and made the play on the ball and made the interception. The Falcons need more of that. I'm confident that it will come in year two in Dean Pease because again, I think that this just is one of those things like a Kyle Shanahan offense that just kind of takes a year of repetition to really understand what you're trying to do with the core of the defense. Like what is the core defensive philosophy? Not every scheme is that easy, you know, to pick up. And, And I think that once they all get it and it clicks for them, Then we're going to start seeing some really fun football on the defensive side of the ball. But Jalen Hawkins to me will be a bellwether for you know whether or not we should expect that from this team. If he's coming out and he looks like a different player week one, two, three, I'm gonna be really optimistic. Even if those are losses, you know, I'm just gonna. To me, it's about finding answers, players who can be part of the future. So that's I I think he really can be, and I'm excited. He's one of the guys that I'm really high on coming into this year.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think what we saw last year was really encouraging. I think he looked more and more comfortable as time went on. And I think that this is, this is his time, you know, as, as a fourth round pick, the expectations aren't always super high out of the gate, but going into this year, I think, uh, I think he's earned a shot certainly at being a starter. And I think, look, if it works out and you can get your two young safeties of the future with Jalen Hawkins and Richie Grant spread out by a few years in terms of contracts. I mean, that's always very beneficial as well um i i i'm high on on Hawkins i i think that i think that in some ways it's like maybe i feel even a little bit more confident that Hawkins will be one of the starters than Grant to open the season i feel very confident that Grant will be a starter at some point during the season but it's it's like kind of weird that like maybe Hawkins is a li- on a little bit more solid footing at least to start off but
0: all three of these guys are like yeah. bunched right together yeah. To me. yeah. It, it like if it, even if Eric Harris was healthy i mm-hmm. i just think that they i think they're ready to turn it over but i also think that that eric harris brings a lot to the table as well um yeah. but if yeah. but if he's your guy coming off i'm not uh, i think the real answer here is they're just gonna have some form of a three-man safety rotation yeah kind of yeah. like the falcons did with kz keanu and and ricardo for mm-hmm. the minute that those guys were all healthy together um but that's probably the real answer until eric harris is fully like good do we have word on that is he like cleared for camp or I don't know is if he's, he's still coming back. I
1: know he was rehabbing during mini camp. So that led me to believe that he was somewhat close. I don't think he's as close as Oliver, who was actually working in individual stuff. Yeah. You should I'm be not sure. Be Oliver, kidding, I think will be there for day one of training camp, but I'm not exactly sure yeah. about Harris. Harris's injury was a lot later too. So, um, so he
0: may be that rotational kind of like yeah. six man off the bench in terms of the mm-hmm. safety rotation as they work him back in, which I think is an ideal situation for atlanta honestly
1: yeah no i mean i, I think honestly it's safety and we're gonna that's is a good segue into the other two safeties we'll talk about who i think are both pretty much roster locks eric harris the veteran started basically all season last year until he got hurt for the falcons was better than expected it was kind of interesting i think everyone thought that Daron Harmon would be the more impressive of the two veterans they signed and it was actually harris uh that had the better season and Harris, who stuck around with Atlanta even after the season-ending injury, which tells you how much they like a guy that they they sign him coming off an injury. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of Harris. I think he will be the third safety pretty clearly. But Dean Marlowe isn't isn't a slouch himself. I mean, this is a guy who started eight games for Detroit last year, and has been a core special teamer as well. So. Honestly, they have a, a group of four guys who I think you could feel confident starting any of them. Any two, any three of these guys, I think you're pretty comfortable starting. That they're not going to be liabilities. They're going to give you at least sort of league average safety play at worst. Um, and I think that's a good spot for this team to be in, in terms of their depth. And, and especially with the youth of the, the secondary all around them. So, um well, I'll, I'll let you get. I know you were talking about Eric Harris. Is there anything else you want to say on Harris, or anything you want to add on Dean Marlowe?
0: No, I mean, I can, I can two for one it. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I think that they, right? It's, and I don't even know if this um, movie is. That you know what, I'm gonna leave it right there. But <laughs> I, they, they're, they're different, but they're pretty much the same, right? Like they. Got rid of Daron Harmon, but who do they bring in? Uh, a Detroit Lions safety who can kind of who is more of a free safety, but can kind of play a little bit all over the place and is a veteran. I like they kind of are the same four, even if Daron Harmon's not here. I love the the Dean Marlowe signing. I mean, I, I think that that's somebody who drafted by the Panthers, then went to Buffalo. I mean, Sean McDermott clearly loves this dude. I trust Sean McDermott when it comes to defenses. Uh, and, and again, he's then there in Detroit and something about his fit in this scheme must draw them or draw him to them because you look at it kind of as snap counts and where they come from. A lot of it's free safety, but a lot of it's in the box and a lot of it's in the slot. Like the dude can kind of play all over the place and that's what you need out of the safety position. It's one of the reasons why I think they ended up valuing. Eric Harris a little bit more last year than we thought they might, because I think he was better suited to play kind of all over, especially more in the box than Dron Harmon proved to be. But we, we kind of knew that he was going to be more of your pure traditional center fielder. I think that they just maybe expected a little bit more range out of that. But remember, I mean, it was Eric Harris that was kind of flying sideline to sideline. Sometimes it working, sometimes it not, but he was just always the more rangy one, the the more physical one. So that's why I think he's the one that's back even coming off of injury. It's just, I really think the Falcons are wanting that versatility at the safety position more than anything else. And that's saying something because this is a team that I think more than anything else prizes versatility.
1: Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I like both of these guys a lot. And I think they both, like you said, I think they feel kind of similar roles. I think they're both versatile And I think that's really what Dean Pease wants from all of these safeties is that they can be interchangeable, that he can rotate these guys in and out. And you don't know who's going to do what. It's not like, oh, Jalen Hawkins is our single high guy. Richie Grant's our box safety. They're going to be playing that every play. It's like you can't feel comfortable when when they line up in cover two, which they're going to do a lot. That's kind of their bread and butter. Um, You can't feel comfortable that like, oh, well, they're going to play cover two. And, you know, maybe Richie Grant creeps up into the box and fills the robber spot or maybe – Jalen Hawkins does, or maybe they played three safeties and then Dean Marlowe drops back into single high after the snap. Like This is a core tenant of, of DMP's defense is that he wants these safeties to be interchangeable and to give them a lot of sort of tactical advantages and a lot of subterfuge, and uh, I think this group is perfect for that. Um, Dave, any any thoughts from you on, on those two? Maybe depth guys, maybe rotational guys, maybe starters, and, and, and Eric Harris and Dean Marlowe?
2: No, just that I think, you know, the team kind of wisely gave themselves a couple of veteran options with real starting experience, who, you know, if they they don't end up starting, are solid special teamers. Um, And I think this has been quietly a theme of the offseason as Marquise Williams has lots of guys to work with. Um, He's going to be losing guys potentially like Grant and Jalen Hawkins, who were major parts of the special teams units a year ago. Um, but Eric Harris has a ton of experience there. Marlowe primarily played special teams through the first part of his career. So you've got yourself a good situation where any of those guys can be useful there uh, if they are reserves. But I do fully expect Harris to be kind of the de facto third safety step in anytime, you know, either of the starters need to be replaced, and Marlowe's kind of available in case of emergency being, A little bit less proven and in his starting experience a little bit less quality maybe than Harris has been but you can to your point Kevin trust any of these guys to step in and start I think at least in the short term so it's a it's a good group that way Um, there is some interchangeability to it I think obviously you prefer the younger higher upside guys win Um, but it's not an accident that you bring on harris and marlo who again you know just a year ago were making multiple quality starts for different defenses and and harris i, I think got beat up a little bit um you, you can't win if you play secondary for the atlanta falcons and you're not perfect <laughs> if you're not aj terrell um but you know he had a really solid season and and dropped a couple of t- key turnovers and that's all it takes for people to think stink. <laughs> he's, so, a yep. he's a bum yeah he's a complete bum but you know we yep. i think that You know, looking back on it, he was he was a solid starting safety. And and so if that's your that's your fallback plan, um, that's a really good one. It's certainly better than the Falcons have had in the past.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think I think it's a strong group. And the other guy we haven't talked about is Trey Webb, who, to be completely honest, I don't think any of us know a ton about he played at I think he played like Juco and then he transferred to Montana State. So he's a teammate of Troy uh, Troy Anderson. So that's kind of cool but I would be lying if I've said I'd watched extensive Trey Webb film or really any Trey Webb film at all. But he seems interesting. He did get a signing from the team after a mini camp tryout. He survived the first cut to the safety group with Brad Hawkins, the other UDFA getting the ax here for Eddie Goldman. So I think that seeing as he's really maybe one of five or six safeties up on the roster, they clearly like him at least enough to make him sort of a, a shoe in for the practice squad at this point. Um, versatile guy has played both safety spots and even some cornerbacks. So he's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think to sort of sum it up here because we're, we're over, over 90 minutes and you know, I, I respect these guys July evenings too much to keep you. Kevin, can, head, I, can I just throw, throw oh, a wet blanket yeah, though yeah. on the
0: safety group real quick though? Cause oh, I yeah, feel like we're, it. we're a little too positive. Oh um, yeah, yeah. In reality, these are two unproven guys who we have high expectations for. And then, two versatile dudes but probably further down on the menu in terms of like versatile dudes in the NFL it's in Derwin James and Tyron Matthew that we're talking about back here so that's my negative 10 seconds on the safety it's like it's I think they have a plan in place which is better than not having a plan in place we still need to see it you know there's still a chance that that, the teams are going to be able to just go right down the seam on us sometimes
1: yeah I mean I think I think with how good the corners are, you can get away with this being sort of an average safety room and it's fine. Mm -hmm. If it's worse than that, it could be a problem. But I think that (laughs) between these four guys, we should be able to at least have an average safety group. So that gives me some confidence. And I I think if you want to be positive, the upside for Hawkins and for Richie Grant is certainly better than just an average start or two. So we'll have to see how it pans out. But I, I think if you want to be hopeful- if you want to be hopeful about this Falcons defense in particular, your hopes are resting on this secondary being good, like legitimately a top 10 secondary, because if they get to that level and I think the quarterbacks, you could, it doesn't take much to get there with the safeties. It's maybe a little bit more projecting, but this is, you know, if you have a top 10 secondary, you don't necessarily need to have this elite pass rush now to be a good pass defense. I mean, even last year in terms of passing yardage and and various things like that, with a sort of lackluster overall secondary outside of Terrell, this was like a top 20 pass defense. They were abysmal against the run, but, you know, <laughs> against pass. Yeah, part pass, of that has you know, to do with
0: game script, though. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, exactly. if, if teams are just up in the second half constantly, like, they're not, they're not. But they were in some one-score game, so, I, you know, that's not all. It was all, sort all of like,
1: it was sort of yeah. one or the other. It was either, like, a blowout or a one-score game. So <laughs> there was definitely a little bit of both going on. But um, I think that, overall, I, I would, I'm pretty happy with, the secondary they've assembled, I think the like we said, the Casey Hayward signing was a steal. I think bringing back Eric Harris and, and adding Dean Marlowe to be sort of reliable veteran presences behind the young duo of, of Jalen Hawkins and Richie Grant is is really smart. Um, and and I think you know if 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 all goes to plan, this can be sort of the identity of your defense while your young additions to the defensive line sort of find their footing because I think it's unrealistic to expect Ebba Cady and, and D'Angelo Malone and these guys to just hit the ground running and be this great pass rush or something like that. Like they're probably going to be, we're probably hoping for average at best from that group this year. And and to be clear, that would be like a, a very big improvement from 2021 going from 32nd to like 18. Um, but I think you just, people need to temper their expectations for the front seven. But if the secondary picks up the slack, that could be a recipe for a, a top 20 defense, you know, approaching average as opposed to one of the worst in the NFL. And look, you get that with with a more efficient offense. Maybe you're talking about this team winning more games than expected. But um, like the other part of the coin that we've talked about, we mentioned on here is that this is a very difficult schedule that they have to play. There's not a lot of slouches or easy wins on this. So they could be a better team overall and still lose more games than last year. And that's just how it is. That's how it goes sometimes. Um, So it's going to be a tough season, I think for fans. Um, And I, I, we are hopeful, obviously we would like them to be good. And I think we all sort of expect them to look like a better team, even if it doesn't necessarily translate to W's. And we're just trying to prepare you guys mentally for what could be a tough season in terms of wins and losses. But if you go into the season, sort of hoping that you see, improvements on defense and you see these young quarterbacks and young weapons sort of come together. And maybe we see some improvements on the offensive line and these little positive signs. Like if you're looking for that, I think you're going to be satisfied. If you're looking for them to win, to have a winning season and you're going to be disappointed that they don't, you're probably going to be disappointed.
0: What are we doing? Who are we talking to here? (laughs) These are Falcons fans, man. (laughs) We are all grizzled in the hopelessness. Like, well, we are just mired in misery. So, nobody yeah. here should ever have any expectations. How about that?
1: No positive <laughs> thoughts allowed, ever. But, uh, yeah, guys. We do really appreciate everyone for tuning in tonight and hanging out with us in the depths of the offseason. We are getting closer to training camp. I believe it's three three shows from now, approximately, is when we will... Uh, three shows from now, approximately, is when training camp will start. I think the first public practice is the 29th. Uh, so... We will see when the first practice will actually be. It hasn't been officially announced yet, but whenever the first practice is, I will be there, guys, in Flowery Branch. I think Will is going to attempt to join me uh, for a couple days here and there if he can. Adnan also will be trying to join us for a couple days, so uh, look forward to that, guys. I will be there through August 3rd. Again, if you are uh, looking to support us with travel costs and things like that. The, the fundraiser link is in the show description. Uh, also, please do like and subscribe. We appreciate those metrics. They help us out. Leave some comments after the show. I try to reply to as many of those as I can. And uh, for those listening to us on the podcast feed, we appreciate all you guys as well. Uh, before we take off, Will is at Will McFadden on the Twitter. Will is also the host of the Believe in Falcons podcast, another fantastic program to listen to after you're done listening to this uh will anything else you're working on that you'd like to plug uh
0: working on getting through Kalid in elden ring so i will be getting back to that very shortly um outside of that now my stuff's up on the falcolic
1: yeah watch out for those birds they like to hide those giant birds they're just all (laughs) over the place you just you think you're just walking through a calm little atmosphere just a little little passage and then four of those damn things jump on you so yeah big watch out for those that's my (laughs) advice yeah Good. Thanks. Yep. Yep. Uh, Caleb is, is no joke. Uh, also playing Elden Ring with us, Dave Chote at the Falcoholic, uh, Dave, any Elden Ring takes or other things you'd like to play before we sign off tonight?
2: Great game. I'm, I'm almost at the end of it. So i got to finish it off. Um, so it's, uh, it's taken up a lot of my time and energy, which is good <laughs> because the Falcons haven't been, there's still <laughs> not a lot going on. Um, but no, I, I would say, you know, if you can, please, uh, donate or your time support comments for Kevin to go to training camp. I know uh, I'm hoping Kevin and Will will be there along with uh, Everett Glaze and others. Um, So we're really excited when that finally rolls around to have a lot of cool Falcon stuff to talk about. Um, In the meantime, we'll be previewing some of the key battles in camp as always, we'll have the live shows every Wednesday night where you can see our many handsome faces and uh, you know, make sure to check the site every day we'll have something new for you
1: absolutely guys we got i'm kevin knight at alcohol. all kevin i got player profiles coming to you every single day uh that just prime off-season content that i've monopolized uh so you know it gives me something easy to write about every day i made sure that you know i got that the easiest articles to write everybody else has to dig deep into their content minds to try to find stuff but um We'll be finishing up linebacker over the next couple days. Then it'll be on to cornerback, which we just talked about. So you guys should be well prepared for those. But uh, yeah, guys, again, really appreciate all your support. Everyone tuning in tonight. Everyone for liking and subscribing. We will be back uh, next Wednesday. Uh, we're working on another patron q and uh, I was waiting for everyone to get back from vacation. It looks like everyone's it's coming together. So maybe we might do that in the next week or, or two. We'll get the next Q&A going. Uh, appreciate your patience on that. Like I said, if you're interested in joining the Fantasy League, it's patreon.com slash Live to get involved with that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll go from there, guys. Training camp's just around the corner. Uh, we can, I think, announce officially, thanks to our director of guest personnel, Evan Birchfield, that uh, someone we mentioned tonight, Anthony Rush, nose tackle, will be joining the show next Wednesday. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll be on for the early part or the late part of the show, but I will give you guys uh, that information when we get it but excited to talk to Anthony uh, and get his thoughts on his second year with the team. Now Uh, he's had an interesting path through the NFL. I think he's been on like seven or eight teams now at this point already in like his first three years in the NFL. So he's been a bit of a traveler, but I'm excited to uh, talk to him and and get his take on this new look Falcons defensive line heading into 2022. Uh, So we'll see you guys next week for that show for myself, for Will, for Dave at the Falcoholic, Thank you guys so much for watching. We will see you guys next time on the Falcoholic Live. Have a great week, folks.